0: Get into the word of God. Lord, thanks for your presence. You're always present. Thanks for your presence here this morning. We pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would speak out of this inspired word that you left for us. Pray that we would be drawn towards who you are and what you reveal about yourself in your word this morning. Might you, as we talk about your grace being sufficient, might you, might you uh, lead us a step deeper and really depending on and believing wholeheartedly that your grace is sufficient for whatever we face in life. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit, in your name I pray, amen. We're in a series called Do You Really Believe? And what we're doing in this series is we're, we're taking some... V- for the most part, very familiar verses of the Bible. If you grew up in the church or you've been around the church, these will be familiar. If you haven't grown up in the church or around the church, they may not be familiar. But I'm sure you're going to benefit nonetheless through these messages. This week we're in 2 Corinthians, so what we've decided to do is just go through the New Testament and pick a verse from each book that would be like a standout verse um, that, you would, that are familiar verses um, and sometimes they're familiar, kind of like I've said before, um, wallpaper is not in fashion right now. Probably in a decade it'll be in fashion. You'll be wallpapering your houses, um, maybe two decades, something like that. But it's, y- y- wallpaper has a pattern on it. <clears throat> and if you have any, anywhere in your house, um, by the way, if you really like wallpaper, I'm sorry if that comment just offended you. I did not mean to do that. Um, but wallpaper, wallpaper will just be, you might notice that it's a pattern like it could be. Maple leaves, or pumpkins, or chickens, or inanimate objects, abstract. But you might look at it and be like, oh, when you're picking it out, I really like that. Let's put that in that room. But then over time, you don't notice what it is. It's just in the background. And sometimes these verses can be that way. They're so familiar that they don't really sink in anymore. And so that's why we're looking at these verses. So today's verse is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And I'm going to start with a story over 20 years ago, I was at the UND Memorial Union before it got its amazing renovation, which I hear it's amazing. I haven't, actually, I've only been in it once, but I can't remember it even because it's been just one quick visit. But I was in the Memorial Union, and I was in one of the study rooms, and I was with five or eight other friends, um, college students at UND. I was a student at the time, and we were just getting together to study the Bible, and uh, I had a couple of friends there. It was a bunch of students that were attended at Cottonwood here. Um, We had a pretty active college ministry in those days. And as we went through our discussion questions and we shared about how those things applied to our lives, you know, we were just talking about the challenges we're facing. College is an intense time. It's pretty stressful. You are becoming and you're kind of on your own as an adult for the first time. And so some things are becoming real that weren't before like, you know, if you like sign up for one of those free credit cards and buy a whole bunch of stuff, they start wanting you to pay it back. Like, I remember learning that hard lesson my freshman year. It's not just free money. Oh, really? Okay. But I remember a friend being there. Her name was Allie. And she was sharing about some of the stresses that she had in life, and trials of college exams, papers, family dynamic stuff, time being crunched, and just... whether or not you've ever, ever felt this in college, but just sometime in your life, you ever feel like I'm just generally overwhelmed? Like, I'm not sure I can handle all that is on my mental and emotional plate. That's kind of what she was expressing. And then we read today's verse. And, uh, I've been in a lot of Bible studies over the years. So this was two decades ago. I've been in Bible studies regularly, not like every week, but a lot of them were every week for many years. I don't remember many of my Bible study meetings. Can you remember any individual Bible study or home group meetings if you've been doing this over a couple of years, decades maybe? I remember this one, and here's why. We read this verse. Allie feeling overwhelmed, and all of us identified with it because we all had stress as well, but we read this verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So we're sitting in this room, and as we say this verse, it's sort of like this holy silence kind of falls on our group. Like it was quiet because only one person's reading, but it was sort of like, Something was about to happen. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more, I will gladly boast. I'm saying it in the translation I memorized it in years ago. I will boast, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. (laughs) I don't remember reading a question after that. Maybe we did. But there was this sense of awe that came over our little group in this room. And I remember uh, my friend Allie looking at her Bible as we read, or maybe it was printed on a piece of a discussion sheet. And then slowly the corners of her smile started to curve up. And she looked up with this smile, kind of at this point, kind of beaming, and she just made this statement. That is awesome. It's in my memory. It's the long-term memory bank. Like what her face looked like, this verse, that experience. What struck her was that in the midst of feeling overwhelmed in life, God's grace is sufficient for all of it. All of it. So my prayer this morning is that perhaps we might get a bit of the sense of awe that Ali had, that we had, as we look and take a little bit of a deeper dive into this verse. Let me read a little bit of the context. There's a lot more. If you want to open your Bible, you can kind of peruse the Bible or open the Bible this way. That's fine too. Um, the scripture passage has a context that is important. I won't be able to talk about all of it this morning, but I'll mention some of it. So let's read verse 7 through 10. Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Same last week, Taylor talked a little bit about the history of Corinth. This is the Apostle Paul writing his second letter to this city. Um, So there was 1 Corinthians, we covered that last week. And then 2 Corinthians, this is the second letter. And he actually addresses some of the same issues in this letter. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of satan to torment me so that i would not exalt myself concerning this i pleaded with the lord 3 times that it would leave me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness therefore i will boast All the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. I love this next verse. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties. I take pleasure in those for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I like to usually, whether I say it out loud to you, which I often do, but I don't always do, I like to usually have a sermon and a sentence in mind when I preach. So a way to say, this is what I'm trying to talk about. Sometimes it comes together in a great sentence I can share with you. Other times it's not as great and I don't always share it with you. But I have it in mind. So this morning... It's back to school. We've been back to school for a few weeks. It feels a little bit more like school, a little bit cool. By the end of the week, it'll really feel like fall, apparently, I've been told. But I have, for those of you who are math people, I have a sermon equation, okay? It's not a sermon in a sentence. It's a sermon in an equation. We'll call it a sermon in a sentence. Here it is. Your weakness plus God's sufficient grace equals Christ's Completed power in you. It's an equation, okay? You can take it to the bank. It's right out of this verse. Um, Let's read it again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Let's talk about your weakness first. Your weakness can mean a lot of different things, and it could mean a lot of different things for Paul. We'll touch on what it might have been here in a minute, but weakness, that word that Paul was using, can be used and is often used in the Bible elsewhere uh, to to describe a physical physical disability or physical illness or physical issue, a problem with your body that's not going well. Your bodies, by the way, don't last forever, do they? We all know this. At least if you get to be closer to my age, you begin to learn it more and more that our bodies will not last forever. If you are below the age of 20, you might not learn that yet. Physical infirmities, sicknesses. Jesus used this word, the same word, when he said to a woman, you are free of your sickness, disability, infirmity. Here's a couple other things your weakness could be referring to, and this could be the case uh, for Paul as well, but in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, a favorite passage of mine, we read it in the message translation when we were together for mission to our city. I'm going to read it again here. The message version of Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Are you tired? That's a physical limitation. Worn out, <clears throat> burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Part of your weakness can just be you're tired, you're worn out, you're overwhelmed. Here's another part of what your weakness could be. Hebrews 4.15 says this, this is speaking about Jesus again. He's our high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Same word, by the way. Same word that Paul, Paul used in 2 Corinthians 12. Who can, who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way that we have been and is yet without sin. In other words, part of our weakness can be our proneness to do the wrong thing. Jesus experienced every aspect of weakness, human weakness and temptation, and yet he didn't sin. We have that kind of a high priest who knows what it's like. So if you feel like, I don't know, if anyone else knows what it's like to be in my shoes, what I'm facing, you have someone who does. Jesus. That could be part of your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8, which we read earlier earlier talks about Paul's weakness and it had a specific name. It was a thorn. Do you remember that? He said, I was given a thorn in my flesh so that I would not exalt myself. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. You get a sense of desperation. I noticed the word desperation. We sang it in one of our songs this morning. Sometimes we just have weaknesses. Sometimes God gives a thorn. <clears throat> ten years ago, I was in the desert. Ten years ago, February, so it's a little over ten years ago. I was in the Joshua Tree Desert. i have never spent any time in the desert before. And I was there for a week of solitude in the desert to seek the Lord alone. And uh, I met God profoundly there. It was a physically empty place, but it wasn't completely empty. There were critters there. Uh, I won't tell those stories. I don't have time. The plants in particular, not having ever been in the desert or any desert region, since then I've been to Arizona and I've seen other things like this, but, and I was in Colorado a little bit, there's some dry country, there's some kind of dry looking things, but in Joshua tree, the way that I described it is all the plants looked fierce, like we are armored. Don't come near me sort of like if you have a castle and you want to protect what's precious inside because you have resources or gold or you have food or people, you, like, arm it. Say, stay away. I want to look scary. All the plants, like, we have water in here. Don't even think about it. Or we will get you. Because they have water somehow, even in the desert. They have these thorns, spikes. I mean, some of these plants, like... like A big spike ball like this that's like, if I was, if I like tripped over, I would feel like I might not survive it if I landed on those things. They're really, and I touched them, they're like, they're going to go into me. They're bad. Everywhere I walked, I had to have my eyes open to make sure that I wouldn't even brush up against the wrong thing. Some of these things have like spikes that like just automatically fall off. They like they're like impalers, like ankle biting impalers. That you just have like these stuck in your skin. To so be careful. Thorns can be wearisome, they can be painful, they can be exasperating. I can understand why this word is used by Paul, it can cause us to feel desperate. This word, there's three, by the other way, before I talk about the word, there's three main ideas about what Paul's thorn actually was. I'll share some of the specifics, but the three categories are some people think it was some kind of spiritual or psychological thorn, like some kind of, like similar to like the anxiety that Paul that Paul expressed over his anguish that his fellow people, his fellow Hebrews, his fellow uh, Jews were not believing in Jesus. He felt anguish over that. Some people think it was something like that. That could have been the thorn. Other people think it was Opposition by other people, someone who was basically his enemy or a bully, something like that, that Paul was facing. The third thing is that it was some kind of physical impairment or disability. It could be that as well. It could be all of them, actually. The word scallops, which is the Greek word, by the way, thorn is kind of, it's actually a nice translation of that word. Because it can also mean a stake, like a tent stake. It can actually even mean a spiked pole, like that's how they they crucified some people on a spiked pole, like just impale them. That word, that's what Paul is saying. That word is like I was given a thorn. So don't think rose thorn, okay? Think like one of these big spikes that might like Ugh! it was painful. It it hurt him, whether it was physically, psychologically, mentally, it was painful. Here are what some people thought. Um, John Calvin, theologian, thought it was um, uh, spiritual um, temptations, maybe of like unbelief or something like that. Martin Luther thought it was opposition, persecution. We mentioned that. The historic Catholic view is that it was sexual temptation, could be. Physical disfigurement, some people thought. Perhaps Paul had epilepsy. Uh, migraine headaches, maybe an eye disease that led to those headaches. Maybe there was some kind of fever like malaria where he would be in fits of fever where it feels like you're going to die because your head hurts so bad. This could be some other physical, emotional, painful disability. But you know what? The Bible never tells us what it is specifically. I think that's on purpose because this passage, no matter what you're facing or what you might consider your thorn to be or have been, applies. I think that's Maybe why the Bible is not so specific in what it was for, for Paul. It's a question that we have, though, is was this thorn from God or was it a messenger from Satan? It says, a thorn was given to me to prevent me from exalting myself, to prevent me from becoming pride. And then he describes that as a messenger of Satan. So did God send a messenger of Satan to be a thorn for Paul? That's kind of confusing, isn't it? Paul does not resolve that for us either. Although, if you have that kind of a thing that's hurting you, you would probably think of it as a messenger of Satan, whether it came from Satan or was allowed by God or not, right? I think of Job, who was a honorable man, who was a godly man, whom Satan asked for permission from God to test and sift, and God allowed him to do that. This could be a similar situation with Paul, perhaps, to go through pain. Let's talk about God's sufficient grace now. Your weakness, that is weakness. It could be that you're facing a thorn. You might be facing a thorn, or you might have some other just general weaknesses that are kind of, you feel like are frustrating your life. Let's talk about God's sufficient grace next. Your weakness plus God's sufficient grace equals Christ's power, completed power in you. Let's read the verse again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's sufficient grace is the second part of our equation this morning. The word sufficient is a really good word that gets used here. Sufficient means enough. Enough. It means to have unfailing strength. In other words, I'm sufficient for the task. I will not be defeated by the task. I will complete the task. We use it that way sometimes. It can mean strong. It can also have the idea of being satisfied or be contented. We all tend toward wanting a sense of sufficiency in life. That I am sufficient in life, that I have access to sufficiency for life. If we don't have it, where we end up usually is on the road to or in the middle of feeling hopeless. If I'm not sufficient to my life or I don't have enough sufficiency to, to live my life, I will end up despairing or having hopelessness. Um, I mentioned we prayed for, and I'm glad to hear that uh, some of the students who were involved in the Northwood school bus accident are recovering. I think a couple of them are even competing in sports again already. Amazing. Um, In a traumatic situation like that was, or something else, a natural disaster or a car accident or an act of violence, why people are traumatized, why that, that painful experience happened is because they were out of control, overwhelmed, okay? It's like a bigger version of being overwhelmed. And you're so out of control afterwards, you're not sure if you can get back in control. And so then you have all these other issues in life. Uh, maybe you have flashbacks that, you, that, are, that are there. It's because our bodies and our minds were, for at least a moment, whether it was just a natural disaster or a car accident that was unavoidable or maybe it was an act of violence that could have been avoidable, it's that our, our sense of sufficiency or control was stripped away momentarily and that's super vulnerable and in order to actually overcome it, we have to find a sense of sufficiency again. For people that go through Like big T trauma, like probably that school bus accident for many of those girls will qualify as big T trauma, the driver as well. It may take time. Like, would I want to drive a school bus the next week after I was in an accident like that? Would I want to look at a school bus? I might not want to. It might be too overwhelming to me because I'm brought back to that sense of being out of control again. You might have to take some baby steps. Like, I can control my breathing, like, Take five deep breaths. If I see a school bus, you might have to do that because you can't keep yourself from seeing one, but you can breathe. You can notice uh, how soft your sweatshirt is. You can notice what you hear, the cricket chirping outside. Or you can do something like, I can choose to read something to get my attention somewhere else. Or I can tell God 10 things I'm thankful for. Okay, I'm saying all this to say that we need a sense of sufficiency to get through life. Whether you go through big T trauma or whether you just get overwhelmed, let's just call it little T trauma, some people call that, where I'm just overwhelmed in life. I don't think I can handle life. What this verse is saying is that God's grace is our source of sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, a little bit earlier, I love this verse too. I memorized them, I think, within the same year or two says this, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. There's a couple of every's in there. That's kind of redundant. I'm not quite sure if my English teacher would qualify that as a good sentence or not, but Paul is trying to say, a doubt that the grace that we need from God is enough is sufficient for any need we might have I read Hebrews 4.15 just a little bit ago about how we have a priest who knows what it's like to be weak and, and endure temptation but was without sin I would like to read you the next verse this is part of why it's so important that we have a priest who knows what it's like to live in our skin which he did verse 16 Powerful verse. I love this verse. Because we have a priest like that who we- has experienced weakness and temptation like we have, therefore let us approach the throne of grace, which I love that God's throne is described that way, the throne of grace with boldness. Why? So that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, the door is always open for you to go to God, to his throne of grace, to get grace that you might have need for whatever is going on in your life. And here's why. Here's what's the result. This is the last part of the equation. Your weakness. This is why, this is why Paul was celebrating probably... Louder than you might be later if you're a football fan and your team scores the winning touchdown. Paul's celebrating his weaknesses, his insults, persecutions, calamities. Here's why. It's the final part of the equation. He's discovered this secret. Your weakness, if you embrace it, plus God's sufficient grace, if you'll embrace it, equals Christ's completed power in you. Some translations say his perfected power power in you. Let's read it again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected, that's the word, perfected or completed in weakness. Therefore, I will gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest or reside in me. There's the third part. Christ's completed power in you. That's the result. That's the result. When we, I choose to take pleasure, delight, rejoice in, embrace my weakness. Now, this is really easy for me to preach to you. (laughs) It's just as hard for me to do (laughs) as it is for you to do. It's really easy to talk about it compared to how easy it is to actually do, to embrace our weakness so that we can access God's sufficient grace. The cross of Jesus is really... Why we have this cross on our wall and why the Christian, Christians wear or have the cross as their symbol. In one way, it's really the symbol of it's the ultimate example of what we're talking about. Weakness and strength coming together in a powerful, paradoxical moment. Weakness and strength don't go together, friends. You're either strong or you're weak, correct? Again, I'll use the football example. I, I, I like football, but If you have an offensive lineman who's weak going against a defensive lineman who's strong, it's not going to be good. One of them is going to get pushed to the ground and they're going to win. Same with football team in general. Strength and weakness don't go together but what Jesus did on the cross is he brought together weakness and strength in a paradox which means that things that aren't supposed together go together, do go together. That's what a paradox is. That's what Grace is really a paradox. It's what Paul is talking about here. He says, so I take pleasure in weaknesses. Why would I do that? Who, who, okay. You guys want to dare? <laughs> On social media, don't post anything good, all bad. All the hard things in life. Just post when you get insulted. Po- but don't post it when you get insulted so it makes the person who insulted look bad, okay? Just embrace it. Post your weaknesses, the, thing, the ways that you blew it. Uh, post how, it's how you are undergoing difficulty, post how you blew it. Okay? It's the opposite of social media. This is what Paul says in verse 10. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul is not doing is he's not doing this kind of thing we used to do in college when we get together. I don't think this was happening in that Bible study it might have been before we got to this verse. You know how you like get together and you're like hey I got this really hard class and this huge assignment and my boss is just hassling at work for more hours and you tell your story and then your friend goes oh yeah let me tell you about my four papers that I have and these three classes and it's not just my boss it's my co-workers and also my mom and then the third person you know how it goes. Paul's not doing that he's not one-upping Because what he's saying is, I'm boasting about this for a purpose. I've learned that when I choose to embrace my weaknesses, that's how I get access to God's grace, which gives me the power of Christ. That's his point. Not so that he looks good or that you have pity on him. He knew this. A couple places in the Bible say that God gives his grace to the humble. He gives his grace to the humble. That's why embracing your weakness is the first step. Embrace your weakness so that you can get God's sufficient grace. And when you get God's sufficient grace, then you can have the power of Christ in you. Okay, I'm going to skip to the end. Sorry, Caleb, I have to skip to the end on my last slide. Here's, Here's what I want you to walk away with. Just walk away with this equation, okay? I hope you think about it this week. If you and I will embrace, worship team, you can come on up. If you and I will embrace your weakness, if we'll embrace our weaknesses, we have to do that because if we don't embrace our weakness, we choose a position of humility, God gives his grace to the humble, so we have to embrace our weakness first. Then I can embrace because I'll have access to God's sufficient grace. If I embrace God's sufficient grace, which you can choose not to, you can just say, uh, I'm just going to try to power through on my own. I've done that a lot. I'm really good at self-sufficiency. If you'll choose to reject your self-sufficiency and choose to embrace God's grace to be sufficient for you, then and only then do you get the right answer to this equation, which is Christ's power being completed, perfected in you. I pray that you and I will experience that this week. Let's stand for closing prayer and we'll sing a song together. Jesus, thank you that you did enough on the cross. You chose to be weak. And then you brought about the most massive, overpowering victory that's ever happened anywhere on this planet. By rising from the dead, by conquering the grave, by defeating sin and its effects once and for all. We still live in this marred world, but we know that you're going to come back again and set it all right one day. Thanks that you say, if we choose to embrace our weakness, just like you did, the creator of the universe, you embraced human weakness. You came in the flesh. You led the example for us, Jesus. You embraced weakness. We can access your sufficient grace. And when we do, we'll have the same power in us, your power, Jesus, the same power that rose you from the dead and created that huge victory over sin and death once and for all. We get the same power. We get access to it. God, help us to live that this week. Help us to embrace our weakness, your grace, that we might experience your power flowing through us. In your name I pray. Amen.